0: The Telegraph. the
3: Telegraph
4: podcasts.
5: Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact, in association with the Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore, and alongside me in the studio is former Queens and London Irish lock George Robson. We'll be hearing from Scott Brits, Mark Queto, James Downey, and Craig Murdoch to go over the week's Rugby Union and Rugby League action, plus we'll be answering your questions. On with the show. Uh, George, the table, even though there's only a couple of games gone, has a familiar ring to it, apart from the fact that Newcastle are sitting number two now. They won their second game, uh, an away win at Sale Sharks, 13 points to 12. You uh, were at Quinn's when Dean Richards was there, and therefore you know the man... Uh, very well. I know him from playing days. I'm not as familiar with his coaching uh, techniques, but...
1: You're probably far, far less afraid of him then than I was when he was <laughs> in charge at Quinns. Well, certainly, but I wanted to
5: ask you, you know, he was a successful coach uh, with uh, the Tigers. He was responsible for setting in motion the game that Quinns successfully started, the offload game, mm-hmm. quite against uh, what his character seems to be, you know, was when he played... And yet he's now fashioning another uh, decent fist of it at Newcastle.
1: So you tell us about the man as you know him as a coach. Well, I think what Dean's one of Dean's biggest strengths is realizing what he wants to achieve with the signings that he makes. So at Quinn's he looked at the guys he had, he realized he needed to bring up a, a, bit, a bit more ballast in the pack, guys like Ollie Cohn. Some big heavy blokes, Mike Ross, who then ended up playing for Ireland, yeah. got guys in like that in the tight five, realised that that was where he needed to bolster things. Now, if you look at Newcastle at the moment, he's realised we're on a synthetic pitch here. We've got to play a power game. So when you start looking through the signings that have sort of come in, you know, Takulua, some of the Islander boys, Matavese, some really explosive talents on that pitch, that hard surface, where yeah. you need to get go forward and have that offloading game. And he's doing that right now with, with quite a, you know, some really shrewd signings. And another shrewd players. signing,
5: seasoned uh, campaigner people, you know, um, taken from, let's say, Yes. He's doing really well. Yes,
1: exactly. And, and an- another great sign and another example of his, his sort of nous when it comes to this is the way we're going to play and these are the guys I need to get onto the pitch for us to be able to achieve that. And I think, to be fair, going to Sale and getting that one-point victory, that's... that's uh, it's, it might not seem like a big big victory from the outside but the fact that you're winning a game like that away from home and the margin's only a point i think that's huge because it's been tight you've come through it, it it's not always the hardest place to play at sale and sale will be you know disappointed with that result but it you know it, it puts them in a really good position at the moment at the start of the uh, start of the season
5: and what should be a realistic uh, um expectation for them uh, a top six so they can get into the uh, Champions Cup?
1: I think, I think so, yeah. I, th- I think they. I think one thing that is definitely for sure is that they're not going to be dragged down into the sort of bottom three, bottom four this season, in my opinion. I think that it's already a difficult place to go and play because of the, the geographical location and the travel that's involved whenever you have to go to Newcastle. So they've already got that. And now they've got a game plan that's unique to the to where they're playing as well. Obviously, there are other teams with synthetic surfaces, but they, they seem to be finding a, a really accurate way of, of taking advantage of that with the signings that they've made.
5: Well, just above them and topping the table are Wasp, who recorded another win. I think you were at uh, yeah. six ways, weren't you? 24-10. And um, for quite a long time, the, the score was you know very close. And then Wasp just uh, pulled away in the last 15 minutes, and I, I was looking at the game and watching the game and, and wondering, Worcester did some things very well, but when it came down to it, they just didn't have, apart from Tail maybe, the creativity to unlock defences, which at this level now are getting more and more compact. They're getting you know, more and more organised. Yeah. And you, you need that. And I, I just wonder throughout the season... How Worcester are going to solve that conundrum?
1: How are they going to unlock defensives? I look at Johnny R and the influence that he had on the game. I felt like he made some really interesting sniping runs. We know what T.O. can do. You you rightly said he absolutely dominated. Every time he got the ball, he was beating a couple of defenders and he really gives them go forward. I thought Johnny R made some really good um, offensive scoots but didn't really have the support needed to then take advantage of that. I think that's something they can work on. But for me, the story of yesterday's game was the difference of the impact of the benches when they came on. Yes, you know, you had you had um, you know a replacement replacement hooker coming on for Ashley, Ashley Johnson, um, Tom Cruise, and then you had Simmons who came on and called the line out. But he also then stole the line out. So you had a total reversal in fortune set piece wise with the line out, and then you had. The guy who's been there and done it so many times with impact, whether he starts or he's on the bench, Joe Simpson, just upping the tempo, and he was instrumental in their first try. And I thought that was the difference. When they brought their subs on, the Wasp bench really added something that was special. And and
5: the other thing that's going to make it a long season if they can't sort this out immediately is if you get overwhelmed in the scrum and it gets into the mind of the referee that it's it's you that's taking the thing down, Mm. irrespective of whether... You have done each time, then you're always on the back foot.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was a difficult day at the office for the for the Worcester Type five. I think, I think uh, Biarlow came on uh, early on. He's probably expecting to do twenty, minute, 20 minutes. <laughs> He's a big old unit, and he had a he had a really good game around the park. But you know, I think you know, you look at this. Obviously, it's not one guy. It's a whole eight in yeah. the scrum. But they, they they weren't able to get that that sort of parity and dominance up front that they'd have liked.
5: Well, it was in many ways, I mean, it's a bit early to to start talking about redemption, but there was an error of that in some of the wins because the usual suspects like Exeter didn't uh, win in the first round, but they uh, were quite comfortable against your all-side London Mm. Irish, who'd obviously beaten Quinns the day before. That was a, a, a very straightforward one. And Gloucester, who must frustrate their fans because each year they have performances where you think, actually, they've got it together. The Shed Effect. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good cogent performance. Yeah, and they saw it out, you know, against Exeter. But when they were at Quins, and I was uh, there watching, it was a, a strange game because apart from two or three forays when um, they just overwhelmed uh, with with numbers, your know, successive uh, drives and got over the line, Quins actually weren't weren't threatened that much, and it must have been very disappointing for the travelling supporters, it was a strange game in this sense. It was sunny, really bright sunshine, and then for 15 minutes the heavens opened. And I, from the South Stand, you could barely see the players. That's how bad it was. And I, I knew they weren't going to stop the game because it wasn't dangerous, but... I just thought
1: if I was on the were pitch... Were you more worried about how you were going to get home with a snorkel, mate, maybe?
5: <laughs> well, I was supposed to be on the pitch at half-time talking about the Paul Curtis <laughs> peloton ride. Oh, right. And, uh, and I dodge dodged it. it which <laughs> saved me because uh, Peter Winboy he had a coat on and I didn't. <laughs> and so he, uh, he kindly uh, stepped into the breach there. But uh, the, the try that they scored during this considerable downpour started with Marcus Smith and uh, what he has got, you know, lovely feet just making a break. And then there were several... Offloads and it was the best uh, try of the game. Mike Brown making, I think, um, is he the most capped?
1: Most capped Quinn's player in the professional era, yeah. Yeah. Can
5: you assess his contribution to
1: Quinn's? I think it's difficult to sort of put into words when you've. there There are very few guys, I think, that kind of almost you can't imagine a club if you say, you know, think about a Harlequins team. Mike Brown pops into your head straight away. He personifies everything that the club's about when they've been fiercely competitive and, and dominant in games, uh, and he's also done that at England. But for, for, for Quinns, he's been he's been immense, and uh, it's great to see him. You know, getting hitting that milestone milestone, and I'm sure he, you know he'll be, he'll hate people talking about it because knowing what Brownie's like, he'll be like, "Whoa, well, everyone's talking about it like I'm not going to do any more. I've got plenty more yeah. in the tank." So yeah. he'll, he'll be looking forward to it. I thought it was an interesting dynamic, Quinns, against Gloucester, because you've got. Gloucester on that high from Exeter. Quinn's probably with the tails between their legs a little bit, having lost to London Irish. And then it just goes to show that if you don't get that emotional level right, if you're not going into it all hold bar, you know, no hold bar, sorry, whatever it is I'm trying to say, (laughs) (laughs) then you're going to, you know, you're going to come up short. I thought that was really interesting. uh,
5: Well, one of the uh, things that definitely was right at uh, Franklin's Gardens was Northampton's attitude. Mm. And To be honest, I mean, I was as much a critic of the performance the previous week because that was, you know, they were they were routed Mm. in a way that you wouldn't um, just accept as a player or a coach. But this time, they definitely got the attitude right. And um, whereas Leicester could claim to be the authors of their own downfall in the first round, you know, they were well beaten by Northampton, and it was good to see uh, big players like Laws, like Burrell, you know, actually leading. Uh, And Dylan Hartley, there's been a lot of talk about Dylan Hartley, uh, about, you know, whether or not he will make the World Cup, whether he deserves his place at all, in front of Jamie George, who started all three tests for the Lions, and you do have to say, on a one-to-one form basis, there is a lot to that. But what we don't know... And we have to take it face value because we're not in the camp. Is the store that Eddie Jones sets on his leadership? Now I'm not there, but I understand not just from Eddie Jones speaking to him several times about this, but also other other players who are there, and they say that Hartley sets the tone and you know gets the best out of players. And so, whilst a lot of people are wondering whether or not he'll make that, I don't see in the future unless he has you know, a a terrible run of form that he is not going to be there in and around the setup when the world cup comes. And I know that's a a while away, but uh, it may be a case that he has less game time than uh, you would expect. And that you maybe play half and half. I don't, I don't know, but you can do that with, uh, with, um, with, with hookers and, and places that traditionally, you know, are substituted come what may. Now, You've been in and around squads. What, yeah. what, how much uh, weight can we give to Hartley's uh, lead as a as a captain?
1: Well, I think it's interesting you say that. Um, you look at Dylan, what he's about. I think Eddie Jones talks about him as a guy who sets the example with his work ethic, and that's how he leads and his and his ability just to keep going, getting back up, and, and and setting that work ethic tone. And he, and I think Eddie Jones has been heard saying. That there's a few guys that came into the squad and they've seen the way that Dylan carries himself with his work ethic and his leadership and things like no phones uh, and you know the dining table and all that business and they've followed uh, followed his lead and they've upped their work rate as a as a result and i think it's going to be really interesting talking about culture he's obviously an incremental part of england's culture and northampton's culture it's gonna be really interesting with bath going to saints this uh, this week this is friday night i think it is um you know they're, they're building a pretty nice culture at uh, Bath as well, so it's going to be a really I, th- I you know, think that's probably going to be one of the picks of the weekend coming up.
5: Well we'll talk uh, about Bath's uh, win over Saracens because we've got Scott Brits coming on, so we'll leave that just for a second but one of the questions amongst uh, several others, uh, and there have been many on this theme uh, from uh, Jay Wood, uh, views on the second week the influence of the new laws mm,
1: Yeah, I think I mean, well, Two big
5: areas, the breakdown and the scrum Let's take the breakdown first.
1: Yeah, well I think what's, what's definitely clear is that, the rightly or wrongly, in my opinion rightly, the emphasis is now back on get, being able to get quick ball and attack. Um, so what we have seen is that teams are instantly doing sort of two things, or three things. Number one, they're trying to target the choke tackle a little bit more, hold the guy up, which again, doesn't necessarily <laughs> lead to free-flowing rugby. Uh, number two, they're competing, getting penalised, Instantly, and and they're not getting away with the compete like they have been doing, and being able yeah. to slow the ball. Or number three, just fanning out and not even bothering to. And I think if if I you know you know if you're a defence coach now, you you want your guys hold, holding the guys up if they can get a dominant hit or leaving it alone because at the moment it seems like a bit of a lottery. If you're in there for a second and there's any doubt, it's a penalty. That's the way it's going. Well,
5: they are being very very hot on players lying in and around the ball, and yeah. some some of the times you're thinking actually. He's not even really giving him an opportunity to wriggle out of it, but mm. they take I think they're taking the view that if you put yourself as a tackler on the wrong side of the ball if it isn't instant I'm sorry of the two uh you know you having the opportunity to mess around and slow the ball down or giving the benefit to the uh, attacking side, we're gonna always side with that yeah. and provided they are consistent Consist- in this and carry <laughs> yeah. on, which That's is always word, a big thing, yeah. then, you know, I don't see any problem and people have to work that out. Very quick uh, thing with the scrum. I would simply say this. Um, there, is a, there are enough signs... You've been signs- looking forward
1: to this all week. Come yeah, there on. Is, there yeah, is, there you've is, been looking <laughs> forward to... It. This is your moment of, of, of uh, vindication. You,
5: there, certain- there are enough signs <laughs> that if it's played properly, if the um, advantage of standing slightly to the uh, your own side and then putting the ball in straight is done properly and hookers are forced to hook. And there was a penalty for not striking or a free kick for not striking at all in the uh, in the Worcester game. Then that will work because the mindset is changed from trying to have a penalty fest to just playing the ball, getting it to the back, it's available, then we can go and play on. But what concerns me is if they don't stick to this, you will simply get a situation where the hookers don't have to move the feet again. Uh, the ball will contact them because it's been fed, you know. Uh, you so know, they're throwing it at foot. his foot. Exactly. And if you do that, you reduce it back again to a pushing competition, which is what it used to be like. And that's where all the problems came from. Yeah. So they've got an opportunity to make this work. Clubs will buy into it. Hookers will buy into it if they have to do it. But it's solely down to the officials. And if they don't uh, enforce this, what I can foresee is it's getting back to a situation where we have boring resets and so on. And my one worry is that when they've done that, the next time they come to address this issue, they'll do something really major, like simply say, look, because I remember, you know, I'm from a rugby league town, and I remember when rugby league scrums were very competitive and everyone used to strike, and they got away from that, and they simply did away with it. And if they do that, the consequences will be huge for, you know, front row players will change shape immediately, Props will no longer have to be, you know, the shape they are, neither will hookers, and that's already changed anyway. So if if we get to that, then we are looking at Rugby League scrums. It's the last chance, I think, because World Rugby will simply say, Look, we don't want this in the game because every yeah. other area has improved. They're all better, but this is not, you know, improving and it's a blight on the game. It's and-
1: interesting because speaking to an unnamed forward scrummaging coach in the premiership. Uh, apparently what's happening now is, as you know, a new law comes in, everyone exploits it straight away. Apparently the way to exploit this law is as soon as the engage happens, you chase your feet a bit like the old hit that used to happen. And So so now that's what's happening. There's almost more of an engagement because the ball's got to go in and then as soon as the hooker lifts his foot, that's your opportunity as the opposition to try and shunt him off the ball.
5: Well, the laws are quite clear. You're not supposed to do that until the ball is fed. No. So, you know, that's so again. It's got,
1: so, like you say, it's got to be enforced properly in referee, because people are already pushing the limits on that one. Yeah.
5: Um, and, you know, as indeed we could have told them um, straight away that that would happen, because <laughs> that's what players and coaches do. Anyhow, time to uh, cross over the Atlantic uh, and um, a groundbreaking game. Saris are playing Newcastle. It's going to be at 10 pm uh, broadcast, Ooh. but I think, you know, that. that that's the best they can do uh, in terms of trying to get a game that is actually live. But Get it on in Walkabout uh, or something, end, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's being shown live. NBC are doing it, so that's a big
1: oh, broadcasting
5: company. No doubt Ale- our mate Alex Corbisiero will be to the fore on that because he's... Uh, You know, he's um, got American roots. And I'm really pleased we can speak to uh, the Saracens hooker. He's currently uh, in Philadelphia preparing for this game. We've got Scott Britzer. Hello, Scott.
3: Hello, Ryan. How are you doing?
5: Uh, Okay. What's the weather like, first of all? It is absolutely
3: amazing. It's uh, 25 degrees out (laughs) here, walking in shorts and flip-flops. So, loving life.
1: And how many Philly cheesesteaks have you had? Sorry, it's George Robson here, mate. How are you?
3: Very good, thank you. Uh, Not any yet. (laughs) <laughs> uh, as we, are, of course, on a very strict diet, but we'll definitely have a couple of those during the week.
5: <laughs> oh, uh, very quickly, we'll wrap the, um, the the game up at Bath. I mean, it was a it was a fairly even contest in the in the first half, but Bath you know, took their chances, and then second half you had a lot of ball, a lot of territory, a lot of possession, and so on, uh, and yet didn't quite do you know not not quite as clinical a, and as accurate as as normal i was quite impressed by the the dog that Bath showed that they haven't necessarily done in the um previous seasons do you think they're genuine contenders this year for a, for a for a title slot
3: yeah definitely they they put the squeeze on us in the first half and they played a very good ter- territorial game Brian but in the second half unfortunately we just didn't take their chances and they defensively they was they were fantastic and then uh, some individual brilliance at the end of the game and then you just have to take your hats off and say well we weren't good enough on the day and Bart played uh, played some good rugby and uh, congratulations to them although it's a very bit pill to swallow
5: Yeah we've had uh, various views uh, from uh, from uh, social media on, on this game and, and where it's at and some are positive and some are saying look it's you know it's never going to work and so on what's What's your view of, uh, of the initiative? Uh, Well, uh, I think
3: probably people are looking at the short-term effect of it. But in the long term, we want to grow this amazing game all over the world. So if we can play a small part in in, in growing a game in the States or wherever we play rugby, uh, that's what we want to do. Rugby isn't just for one country or a couple of countries. If we can grow interest in this sport, how much better if we can see people or watch rugby in the States and someday... You know, everybody's playing and it's um, commercially probably not uh, viable at the moment, but I don't know the numbers, but hopefully in the future it would be. You have to break ground somewhere. Right.
5: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, and who knows? This is just the first one. Who knows how uh, the initiative will go? But the, the, the fact yeah. is, you've got you had to travel there. How I mean, yes. the logistical difficulties. Come what, on, I,
1: Brian. Can I just interrupt? This is Saracens. <laughs> they probably got picked up in helicopters straight from Bath, <laughs> massaged straight onto the plane, and then you know, they, mate, they're used to doing this. They do this every other week, don't you, Scott?
3: Yeah, of course. Yes, we've got three <laughs> uh, <laughs> with us, of course, a massage on the plane. We did fly Virgin Airways, so uh, yeah, no, nothing of <laughs> that. That's only illusion. Now, I think, well, a lot of, well, you would know, going from uh, east to west doing Super Egg, where you get get used to the traveling while
1: mm-hmm. going
3: north and south is a lot easier. But, I mean, it's just, like, this morning you're up very early, but you you get accustomed to people doing normal work. And it's, uh, for, for us, we're trying to look at the bigger picture, you know. it's yeah. it's, it's as uncomfortable for us as it is for... For Newcastle this weekend, and
1: and I've got a question for you. You spoke about the game at the yeah. weekend. You said one piece of individual brilliant, or you know, maybe a couple. How good is Rocket Aguine? Um,
3: he is absolutely a pain to play against. To be honest with you guys, he's uh, he's an individual player that always gives his best, and he can uh, pull a rabbit out of the hat any time. It- I mean, they were down to 14 men. Yeah. We gave him the inside gap. It starts at three or four of our individuals and scored um, the match-winning try and then had an intercept right at the end of the game when we thought we were pushing to win the game. So, I mean, sometimes... Come uh, well, on. He's just a great rugby individual. I'm. Well, hopefully, I'll see him in the English shirt uh, in the Autumn Internationals. Mm. But he is... a. Uh, Positioning is, is fantastic. He's a great, is a,
5: a, a great player. Exactly. Uh, Scott, uh, we mentioned the logistical difficulties. Uh, can you assure, is it right that, you know, whatever the challenges of travel and jet lag, uh, can you yeah. ensure that both teams will be in a decent fettle when they get there? They will have had enough preparation time with the disruptions and so on?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you, you do, like on most things, you do your preparation, not just to, on this week. You do your technical analysis of the team during the week, but your your work is put in in the preseason. So you don't have to get fitter this week. You don't have to get stronger. You just need to make sure you fit on the weekend and know what kind of technical challenges they will bring Newcastle. So, what are those from that, that point of view, uh, we haven't looked at Newcastle yet. That is, <laughs> today is a day off. So we, we will train where well, we will normally train on a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Uh-huh. We've changed our training regime to a, a Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, and a Friday, a captain's run, to, to adjust to the jet lag. Well, uh-huh. I think Newcastle played on a Friday, they are on a Saturday, so their week would have been a bit different, I guess, to ours. So you have to adjust to the normal things in life. So this is just the adjustment that we have to make this week and next week.
5: Well... Stoke, uh, best of luck in that. Uh, let's hope the initiative is a success because, after all, it's a great uh, untapped market, certainly commercially, if, if, if the game gets it right. So, uh, best of luck and thanks very much. Thanks, It is the case, isn't it, George? You, look, you don't know where this will go. Maybe it doesn't make sense absolutely right at the moment, but there's nothing that's, that's more certain than the amount of money that is available there. And when you look at the athletic talent... Oh that, he's, that he's, he's just drops out of at high school level at college level, um, if they're not exposed to top-class games, if they, it's not within their purview you know, on their screens, then there's no chance. So wherever you start, you know, it has to be, be small, and this is
1: simply the, the first of it. I mean, rugby um, has recently been known as the, the fastest-growing team sport in the US. Yes, it is. Um, so people obviously love the sport whether it 's ever going to compete with any of the big sports the NFLs i don 't think that 's going to be allowed to happen. I think we both know that, yep. but there is a there is definitely a sort of you know guys that would want to you know turn up on a weekend and play a sport you can 't it's pretty difficult to do that with NFL and stuff like that, yeah. whereas rugby kind of fills that gap you can have a team, you turn up, you have a social game, and then you go on to the next week so I do think there 's something in it, and anything as you say that grows the game. Uh, And the
5: key, obviously, with all these things is if you can get the sport into schools, because that's where people, you know, learn their, their, you know, the basics of rugby, that's where they learn things that become instinctive, you know, that's where you have to start. Definitely. Let's just talk about Rocco We'll talk in general, um, and more specifically when we get our next guest on, Mark Cueto, Mm. but... The Rocco D'Aguni tries one was an intercept, which was a poacher's try, and then he had the legs. But the the two steps with one inside channel—that's the sort of thing what we're talking about about instinct. Now, the back three for England has been um, it's been fluid, shall we say? Uh, and Rocco D'Aguni's had opportunities and then fallen out of favour. Can how much can we? set stall by that sort of performance?
1: Well, I think we all know that, I mean, he's outstanding, isn't he? He is on form at the moment. But if there's one thing we also know, is that if there's a man who's not going to be influenced about how he picks his team, then that man is probably Eddie Jones. Mm. But I think, you know... I think you've you've got you've got to look at him on the form he's in at the moment. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. I'm not sure who who would make way necessarily for him uh, in that squad, and how you how you adjust that back three, or if you do. I mean, obviously, Elliot Daly had a had a fantastic Lions tour, um, and obviously you've got Mike Brown at fullback there, who's the incumbent, and, and so which wingers do you have? And Jack Nowell was pretty good in the Lions yeah. as well as he came into it. So. It's a competitive area, but, yeah, you've got to look at him. I mean, he, he's, he's he's just outstanding.
5: Well, let's now speak to someone who is much better qualified than you, or I, certainly me, <laughs> to uh, talk, talk I'll, about I'll talk about myself as well, yeah. <laughs> which you. is the former Sale uh, and England winger, Mark Quittle. Hello, Mark.
4: Evening, lads. All right.
5: Hi. Um, we've got to start with uh, Rocco de um, He's had a chance. Uh, he seems uh, to have fallen a little bit out of favour, but the... Uh, England back three has not been set in stone yet and there's enough time. Uh, where will that performance have put him in, in, in Eddie Jones' thinking, do you think? I think if
4: if it was the opening game of the autumn International this you know, this coming week, yep. then it would be it'd be pretty difficult not not to have him in there. Um, you know, on, on current form is you know, he's he's been by a country mile probably the the, the best informed winger, uh, you know, across the Premiership. You know, the the two intercept tries. You know, we we sort of take intercept tries for granted a little bit, but you know, there's a, there's a real there's a real art and a real skill in it. Um, you know, not not every sort of winger that 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 plays and has got a bit of pace, you know, can can pick out those those opportunities really. And you know, he's he's done that. Um, brilliantly well in the last two weeks but but as you said you know the the first try that he scored at the weekend you know left foot step right foot step pace power just 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 incredible um but again you know that that back three for England is 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 pretty sort of set in stone at the minute you know as you mentioned there three three of the lads currently in that back three all went on the line tour. um did brilliantly well on the Lions tour. so equally although you know, Rocco's probably the in-form um, winger at the moment. The the other guys have got credit in the bank real. so it, it's it's really it's really difficult to know which way it will go. But mm. you just you just you know, it, if he wasn't to be included, you'd you'd just really be really hard done by, I think.
5: Just as a a general uh, rule, when you're looking at the back three, what's the ideal you know composition? Is it is it is it a player you know is it a player? Do they all have to have pace, or can you augment that with some who are better defensively, some who have got a better boot on them? It's
4: rare that a winger doesn't have the pace. You know, there, there's there's some guys that that look quicker than others, but I think generally across the board, particularly at international level, you know, there's there's literally a yard if that between the fastest and the slowest in, in the back three, and, and you know, some of your some of your inside backs are as quick as your as your wingers for for me i think you know the way the game's going and and, and probably slightly biased towards you know some of the, the the recent poor results that that sale have had i think as a, as a new generation coming through now without wanting to sound like an old man i, I think a lot of players are forgetting how important the basics are Yeah. And the higher the higher you go in the game the more impas- important the, the basics are mm. Yeah, it's fantastic to have a little bit of X-factor and to be able to throw, you know, a pass out the back out of the back door. But ultimately, your back three, they've got to be able to catch a high ball. They've got to be able to make influence um, the, the way you the, play in the
1: pitch, right? Yeah. It, it, yeah, you know, you,
4: your positioning's got to be bang on. You know, you've got to be able to defend. You've got to be able to catch a pass. And these things, you know, you almost think it's a given at, at, at Premiership level and international level, but. You know, week on week, we we still see basic errors in the game and basic decisions poorly made. You know, mm-hmm. so f- for me, um, you know, I think just getting the basics right and 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 cutting errors out of your game. You know, you look at, you know, the game doesn't change that much, and there's there's always players that people say, oh, I can't believe they didn't get more more caps, and the, the guys that that get the caps. And it isn't. It isn't. I think we get caught up with saying it's boring rugby, but it, but it isn't. But emphasis: the higher the game, the higher in the, in the game you play, the emphasis is, is on the basics and doing the basics well.
5: And how much thereafter do you think uh, Eddie Jones and other coaches uh, feature or, or look for wingers who appear in unusual circumstances? It's called looking for work, you know, Ashton. Was a great example of his, his, you know, his support lines. They didn't often come off because people necessarily didn't see them, but he was there. Is that is that something that uh, players should be looking to feature? Yeah, and I I think that's something that
4: you know, going going back to the early two thousands when you know even prior to to when Clive Woodward, um, you know, hit the hit the pinnacle and, and won the. World Cup in '03. You know, I I was on the fringe of that squad and unfortunately yeah. couldn't couldn't break in. But you know, he he was a man that wanted. It didn't matter what number you had on the back of your shirt. You know, you had to be able to either hit a ruck or distribute from scrum half or be the be the playmaker in midfield or finish finish the try off on the edge. You know, ev- everybody had to be a had to be able to intertwine and into the work. Um, and I think you know that that is obviously the. The way the games going and you know, again, you look at you look at the All black You know, everyone gets obsessed with with what they they do, or you know, gets sort of clouded in thinking that they're playing a different, um, you know, a new, a next level of of rugby. But they just do the basics unbelievably well. You know, they run they run straight, they commit defenders, and the timing and the decision of the passes is, is always bang on. Um, you know, and and again, without sort of harbouring the point, you know, go back to the, to the basics and, and how important they are in the game.
5: Mark, um, brilliant as usual. Thank you very much. No worries. Cheers, mate. Take Cheers. care. Thank you. OK, uh, time to switch competitions now to the Pro 14, was Pro 12. We can speak to someone who's got considerable experience with lots of clubs, the former Munster, Saints, Connacht, Leinster, Glasgow, Watson Island Centre, James Downey. Hello, James.
0: Hi Brian, hi George. Hello mate, how are you?
5: Been a very good week very for the great. Irish teams in the Pro 14. Um, all four of them winning, which was a standout performance as far as you're concerned.
0: Um, I think the well initially Friday night with Leinster stepping up to to start their home uh, home period against Cardiff was very good. They were very very sloppy, I think, in the first half, but uh, to produce and get uh, three tries in the last couple of minutes was a great result for them to be to be playing at home there. Um, Munster obviously then against the shooters, which obviously everyone seems to be talking about now in the South African side. You're you're looking at how they're going to bounce back at home, uh, yeah. back over in South Africa. But but Munster looked um, pretty clinical there. And but again, you have to you have to kind of wonder how these South African teams are going to turn around in the next couple of weeks. And obviously, we've heard all about how their, their sides are depleted and their resources are split due to Currie Cup commitments but it's going to be interesting how they, they fare at home and I think all eyes are really on them this weekend um, and Connacht again against the other South African team against the Kings were were quite convincing and it's, it's very difficult conditions for the South Africans to come over and and deal with a rainy Connaughton sports ground. Yeah, and imagine
1: ima- imagine that you've stepped off the plane from some you know, you know baking hot South Africa to the to the you know to to, to Connaught the wind and the rain. Uh, do you think Do you think that's going to play a huge sort of difference in the home and away advantage in the competition? Do you think that'll make it a bit more interesting?
0: Yeah, I do. I do, and it's uh, it's going to test people's skill sets, and I think this is. I think it's going to take a while for this to to really click and for the South African teams to actually learn how to play conditions and, and learn how to play different styles. It's going to be, ex- defensively even, you know, it's going to be extremely difficult to a super rugby open game, um, as you say, in the wind and rain of Connacht. So um, <laughs> both teams are going to have to change this, but uh, so, uh, so much more the South African teams.
1: Um, and do but it you see there well, being, a, being a, a going the other way round? Maybe some of the boys from Limerick getting a bit too much. You know, need to get the factor fifty out. Is, is it going to be the, the, the other way round with the heat and everything else so much, or do you think it's, uh, it's more sort of heavily stacked in the favour of the uh, of the Irish guys?
0: No, slightly. I do think it is because it's going to take an awful lot to, to get used to when they're over there and, and the heat and playing in that heat. I suppose you might we might have uh, touched in it once or twice over in Italy if you play in Italy mm. in the in the last rounds, but. It's not going to be anything compared to what they used to at the start. So it's it might take a, a few a few goes to get used to it. But look, if they get moved around, that's what the South Africans will be looking for this weekend. And as I say, all eyes are going to be on the two South African teams this weekend to see if they can really step up at home.
5: Yeah. Well, I suppose like the initiative um, uh, from the Premiership uh, and the game in the US, this is the this is a first off. It's not it's not it never was going to be straightforward. Uh, there are reasons why the sides are depleted, not least because, you know, so the contracts, super, super rugby contracts, um, couldn't be maintained. And it might be that it takes a season or two for it to bed in. But in, uh, for future reference, it can't but be good for, I don't think, for the pro, uh, the, the pro 14 competition itself to have that extra edge of the extra money and the extra market.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that statement, I think. You see, but the exposure as well of the players, and, and commercially, 100% agree, and you look at even Eurosport now have, have come on board with a new sponsorship to, yeah. to show 14 games worldwide, so it's really starting to, to pick up, and you've got to wonder now if the South African teams and the South African Rugby Union, if they have an eye on, is there too much travel involved in the Tri-Nation or in the Rugby Championship? Is there... Are they looking with an eye to maybe get into the Six Nations? Logistically, it makes a lot of sense. So um, it'll be interesting to see what what angle they have on that. But look, it can only be good for the game and, and get that exposure out
5: right there. From your point of view, um, Edinburgh have been uh, very much the bridesmaids in, in Scottish terms to to Glasgow in recent seasons. But Richard Cockrell is in there. Um, can we? Is it too early to say we've seen you know his influence working at Edinburgh?
0: Um, look, I think it's an old cliche of how winning's a habit, but they're two from two now. They um, had a good win against a, a poor dragon side there at the weekend, but you can only beat what's, what's put out in front of yeah. you. So, you know, he's going to toughen them up and um, and they're going to be hard to be to be beaten up there. And I think it's good that they've moved away from, from Murrayfield because having played there myself, it's just there's no atmosphere up there. Yeah. It's extreme, especially if you're the home team, if you can get a smaller ground, get those crowds in behind you. I really think he'll focus on getting a strong, solid base at home and, and make that a fortress up there, and, and we all know what he's capable of and how tough he is.
5: And what about uh, the champion, Scarlets? I mean, it was a it was a very comfortable win uh, away against Zebra, but uh, do you think they've got the squad to uh, replicate, certainly at least in terms of a challenge to uh, to defend the title?
0: Um, yeah, I do actually. Haven't watched them. Watched them, uh, watch them play in the last couple of times. Okay, they, they beat Zebra there at the weekend, but uh, a huge one for, this, for them this weekend is away to Ulster on Friday night. So um, that'll really show where, where their credentials are. But I do think that they have that squad. They have some quality players, and to have uh, Reece Patchell there playing ten now and pulling strings, and even half pennies in on board now, and uh, Johnny McNicholas who had a great uh, great weekend as well, two tries for him. So. They really have built up the squad, I think, with, with Wayne Pivich and Stephen Jones. They've got some great astute coaches there who, um, yeah. who know how to, how to spread the squad, and I think that's what it's going to be now. People will look at them for Europe, and it's about how you work with your squads. Yeah.
1: yeah. Just a quick question, a little bit off, off the topic of, the, of the, uh, the Pro 14. We were having a little chat earlier on about Dylan Hartley and his leadership. Obviously, he's a guy you'd know well. Um, yep. From your time with him, how 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 would you sum up his the way, the way in which he sort of leads? You know, whether he's captain whether he isn't captain as a bloke, how how would you describe his style of leadership?
3: Uh, Dylan's
0: one who will always lead with his actions, and he'll always try and lead from the front. And um, when he speaks, you do listen. It's very uh, he speaks very astutely, and he speaks um, with a lot of passion. But ultimately, he's he's a doer out in the field rather than. I say, a Paul O'Connell, who will, you'll see a hell of a lot of, of uh, like, when he talks, everyone completely listens and you stand up. And for me, it was Dylan always led from the front and you look for actions from him and impacts um, to lead and, and drag people on. So, look, it's a very interesting debate about should he shouldn't be involved and should he shouldn't be captain. And I think it's a very smart decision by Northampton, firstly, to, to make him captain again. I think
3: mm, he would, I agree uh, with that. Yeah.
0: He missed it last year and I think he had a bit of time to think about things himself and Dylan really wants to play for the club and it really stood up and showed, I think, in terms of when they were discussing about the captaincy. So for me, it's a smart move to have him in Northampton again.
5: And just uh, finally, um, Ulster, um, very decent start to the season, Uh, often not talked of um, in the same bracket as Leinster and Munster. How are they going to fare this year, do you reckon?
0: I think they've been very smart in getting John O'Gibbs in, and he's going to add an awful lot of steel to what they have already. Um, I think he's the best signing so far this year, um, on and off the field, in terms of what he did with Leinster when he was there and how he hardened and got every ounce of... uh, Every ounce of ability out of the players he had in Leinster, and if he can bring that a small bit of that up to Ulster, they'll certainly be a force to be reckoned with. I think. I think their back backline they have a an embarrassment to riches nearly, yeah. and obviously to move Tommy Bow around and put him into centre, and they've a lot of young players, up and coming talent. But it's about how they manage it, and how Ulster seem to start well, and 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 they're capable of having a, a decent game in Europe, but they seem to be one-off games, and I think they need to sort of produce that consistency that they've lacked over the last couple of years but I think that John O'Gibbs is going to really bring that, that added steel that, they, that they've that they required
5: Yeah well uh, let's hope that the uh, that the Irish sides um, play to their full potential because there's no doubt that when they are on song and with a, certainly a pulling pound of crowds that they make uh, every competition they're in special Thanks very much uh, James
0: Cheers guys, thanks
5: Okay, time now to uh, switch codes. Uh, The Rugby League Super League is uh, coming towards its end and things are starting to be sorted out after a long while. Very pleased to say we can speak now to Craig Murdoch, the former William Warriors Hull Sharks, Hokeyar and Salford City Red Scrum half, now turned broadcaster. Hello Craig. Hi Brent, how are you doing? Okay mate, now um, Hokeyar, they're back. Yeah, you know,
2: brilliant result for them and you know, obviously there were the disappointment and the amazement of last season's million-pound game, where with two minutes to go they're still in Super League, and then they find themselves somehow out of the competition. And it was a, you know, a really dark day in the East Side of Hull last year when they dropped out of the competition. But you know, I think from the club everything about them, the chairman's kept them full time. The fans have got behind them, and they've done what they needed to do and get back into Super League at the first time of asking. You know, a really, really good victory for them on Saturday. Probably wasn't the prettiest victory that they'll ever have. But I suppose in games like that, nobody really cares. they got the victory and they're
5: back in Super League. And uh, Warrington um, have uh, made their mark as well. They're going to stay up. But Tony Smith's going to go. Uh, is he back, Is he going back to Australia or will there be another uh, Super League appointment for him, do you reckon?
2: Well, it's an interesting one, that one, Brian, isn't it? Because there's a lot of rumours the last couple of weeks that you know, Tony Smith was on his way out. You know, He's done an excellent job at Warrington. He's... You know obviously hasn't had the season he would have liked this year you know he, he played the first game of the season and and they beat the team from australia and it was a fantastic performance by them and everybody thought that you know this year was going to be Warrington's year. they'd yeah. made a couple of good signings, Kevin Brown going there, but it just hasn't worked out and you know with the format of of the Super league, obviously if you're in those bottom four, you go into those middle eights and and obviously for the budget that Warrington is spending and you know the fan base that they have there, you know being in that competition wasn't good enough and you know Tony's a great coach and he's a great guy, and I'm sure he'll bounce back. And you know he's an attractive, you know, proposition for not only Super League clubs but for those in the NRL because he's vastly experienced and he's good at what he does. But unfortunately, yeah. there's no sentiment in sport, is there? And you know he's bit the bullet from Warrington's
5: poor performances this year. Well, you say there's no, and you're right. There is, is no sentiment in sport, and that's one of the reasons we love it. Um, you know, Hull FC uh, have done well this year; we've secured one trophy, but. Uh, given the uh, tightness of the Super Eights, you've got Wigan, Hull, Wakefield, St Helens, maybe well Salford, even so, just just hanging on in there. Uh, is, is there a possibility that the whole might miss out completely?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think obviously, you know, Friday night there was, you know, certainly in the rugby league side of of, of rugby, there was a Twitter meltdown on Friday with, yes. with the sending off of Liam Watson. You know, you, you can read into that whatever you want. But in my opinion, it was a crazy decision, one that the, the officials got wrong. And I think with Liam Watts finding that he, isn't, he hasn't got a case to answer today, he's, he's pretty much saying that the referees and the officials did get it wrong on Friday night. Yeah. Now, whether that cost hold the victory, you would have to say there'd have been a stronger proposition if they'd have had 13 on for the full game. They played 60 minutes with 12 men, you know, and nearly won it there and then. But as you say, because of the tightness of the competition, I think Salford, you know, mathematically can still do it. Realistically, I don't think they can. All I see now, have got to win the two remaining games yeah. if they're going to finish in the four, and that's a big game against Wakefield on Thursday night. Well, that's a
5: huge game, isn't it? I mean, because had Wakefield beaten uh, Saints, they would be sitting, uh, you know, a lot prettier. But well, it, is it? It's going to take all, isn't it? Almost. Well, it is. But even if Hull
2: win that game, Brian, it doesn't. You know, they've still got to go and beat the, the runaway leaders, Castleford, in the last game of the season to guarantee yeah. themselves. You can't in, see that. that. Can,
5: can you honestly see that? I, I just, you know, the way that Cass have played this year. Well, we've I...
2: beat them twice so far, Brian. This year, they beat yeah. them in the quarter final. You know, down to twelve men as well, and they've also beat them in the league. So, I don't think, I don't think going to Castleford fears Hull FC, if uh-huh. I'm being honest. But you've got to say Castleford would start favourites because. You know Castleford have been excellent this year, and you know you can say you know people still raving about the first past the post, and you know this, it has got some mileage. But everybody knows what the, you know the big game is is the grand final, and yeah. you know Castle want to get there because their deser- their season deserves them to get there. But Hull won't be fearful of going to Castleford. They'll know they'll got to go there and play well. But as we've seen with Hull all year in big games, in one off knockout games, mm. they they have got a game that can beat anybody. So. You know Hull aren't out of the mix yet, but they're playing knockout football every week for me now, Brian. They can't afford to lose. If they lose, their season's over.
5: Well, you're perming two from five, probably four, real realistically. If I had to put you on the spot, I won't hold you to this. uh, But uh, uh, which two do you reckon?
2: I think Wigan and Hull. I think they'll finish third and fourth in in what order? I'm not so sure. I think Saints. You know, I saw them on Thursday night. They weren't great against Wakefield. They found a way to win, or Wakefield gifted the game, whichever way you want to look at it, with a huge mistake in the last minute. And they're just not playing that that great. They've got probably the easier of the fixtures left, but you know, Wigan just seem to have a way of getting to the grand final. I think the five on the trot, you know, they they know how to get there, and I think they'll they will get in that top four, and I think Hull. As I said, their big game mentality over the last couple of years has seen them, you know, win the Challenge Cup twice, yeah. and I think they'll take that mentality into those these next two games. As I said, be like a mini cup for them. Yeah. They win those two games, and they'll sit in fourth. And then the playoffs will be sensational games of rugby league.
5: Yeah, and just finally, let's give a mention to the uh, Toronto Wolfpack. who have got promotion to the championship. Does the Super League wait for them? Are we, or are, we are we just dreaming?
2: No, I think definitely. I think Super League. You know, he's a realistic proposition for, for them. You know, they've had a great year. You know, they've had some big crowds over in Canada, and you know, it's it's hard to get your head round, isn't it? You know, you get on, you know, you've done done some mileage playing rugby yourself, Brian, from one end of the country to the other. But getting on a plane and flying to Toronto is it seems crazy, but you know, it seems to be working for them. They've had their victories this year, obviously against lesser opposition. That will become tougher next year, but I think they will recruit better as well. And I think Super League is a definite proposition. For 2019, for Toronto, and if that does happen, you know, it'll be interesting to see how big it takes off over in Canada and hopefully, you know, for a global stage for rugby league. Yep. That we, will will, will you, that will happen.
1: You do see it with obviously the the games of the Australian teams as well, and it works pretty well there, you know. And I think we're going to be going down to uh, to Australia in the in the coming sort of coming coming months as well. So there's definitely it, it works, doesn't it? So it's just whether you can get it over to to, to Toronto, you know. If they yeah, if they and I think progress. I think
2: I think you're dead right, George. I think that is exactly right. And at the end of the day, if people are prepared to see it, then the, the you know the fans are going to pay their money to go through the door. Then there's obviously an audience for it. And it will be made to work, you know, by the the powers that be. And as I said, it can only be a good thing for rugby league if yeah. we're playing on a global stage.
5: Definitely. Well, if it does happen, you heard it here first. Thank you very much, Craig. No problem, Brian. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Um, interesting week coming up. There's some big fixtures. Um, probably the pick: Northampton, Bath. That's mm. a. You can say they're all seminal games, but you know, Bath have have showed and the way that they. St- Flung on against uh, Saracens, you know, with, without a lot of ball in the second half and managed to come back, with, you know, there's two bits uh, from Rocky Da If they were to go to Saints, who, you know, are a different proposition, let's face it, at home. and On a win, Friday night. Yeah, you know, on a Friday night. And, yeah. Then, you know, you, things are, what you've traditionally seen with Bath is a bit flaky sometimes. But if you can see this edge of steel there and they can keep doing that, who knows?
1: Yeah, I think Todd Blackadder's um, spoken a lot about culture, um, and as you and I both know, when you're playing a, a game like rugby, you need that kind of bond as a group to get you through those tight situations. And I think that if they're if they if they ever wanted a test of that culture then Northampton away on yep. a Friday night who have just recently come off the back of a you know a good performance themselves they've sort of turned the ship around after a poor poor opening game of the season is what you're going to want to face so that's that is definitely the pick of the games this weekend. Um, Let's
5: look at the other the other we have got Worcester Exeter <laughs> Worcester have got another chance of mm, being at home. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a difficult fixture for them but if they're going to start winning then a lot of their victories came at home and they have to be recording uh, wins at Six ways, don't they? Yeah,
1: well, they do, but it's hard to look past uh, you know, past them you know, getting a result there. I don't think they're going to get a result there again at Sexton Chiefs. I think the other interesting game that, that, sort of, that is sort of in that zone of the table is going to be quite interesting is Sharks against yes. Irish. I think there's a, that's a really interesting dynamic there. I think the outcome of that game will really sort of set the scene moving forward. If Irish can go up to Sale, get a win... Suddenly, they've won two out of their first three games, and Sale will have lost three on the yeah. bounce under real. I mean, pressure. it's too. I
5: mean, it's too early to 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 um, reduce anyone to a relegation battle, mm. but you know that could go a long way to setting the tenor for the season. Well, but I if think, you start well, yeah, uh, your horizons go in one direction. Hundred percent. And if you start badly, you know you're firefighting right from the start and yeah. things you just everything feels everything feels against you and yeah, you, lose you lose momentum yeah. you lose
1: momentum I think the first few games are so important that's why Irish winning uh, in the opening round of the Premiership against Queens was huge for them obviously Exeter difficult place to go didn't do very well there if they can beat Sharks then suddenly everybody in the league is going to go sail yeah. Sharks away oh well, we'll go for this one this is yeah. a four pointer you know if if they don't then, you know, Sharks are suddenly, they start to rebuild, they yeah. get the momentum back into it. So I think that's a crucial battle this And you
5: weekend. wouldn't have said uh, this necessarily, but Leicester Gloucester's got a little bit of a flavour like that. You know, Leicester haven't had, well, they've had a poor start from, you know, their, you know, usual well, exalted standards. standards. Mm. Uh, the first game, possibly they were the author of their own misfortune. Second game, they were outplayed, and uh, Matt O'Connor, you know, had to admit that as much. But they are at home, Um you know, and they. I think it's a sort of performance where he's looking now and saying to his side, you know, what have you got
1: now? Oh yeah, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. If there's a DOR at the moment who's probably having the odd sleepless night, it's going to be him because he's lost his opening first two games. Uh, that can happen at other organisations. Probably can't happen at Leicester Tigers. You know, especially when one of one of them has been at home. They've got they've got Gloucester. Lost to coming into town, who've lost against Quinns I, I, I back Leicester to, to, to win that one, uh, and I think that they've, they've got to make sure they get the emotional sort of level right, which I don't think is going to be a problem. But yeah, he'll be calling for a big performance from his troops.
5: Okay, that's all we've got time for. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host George Robson and to producer Abby Patterson. Remember. Please subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard, then please leave a review. We'll be back next week, but for now, goodbye.
0: Planning for your next trip?